Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Trish. And, and this, this is, is the Don't Give a 50 podcast. Let's make getting old the new gold, as oh, you say. I like that. I like that one yeah, too. That was mine. I know. <laughs> that was mine. Hi, 50-ishers. It's Mel and Trish. Welcome to this week's episode of Don't Give a 50. We're a podcast for midlife women who dare to be awesome and don't give a 50. We're not slowing down. We're not ready to put on the handbrake. In fact, we're thriving and living our best lives. So our fellow 50-isher, Simone, wrote into us and said, Hello, ladies. My daily dog walks can be a little mundane, except for when a new episode of Don't Give a 50 drops. Thanks for starting my day with your great variety of topics and many belly laughs. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Simone. I'm sort of having visuals of Simone walking the dog (laughs) and belly laughing. I do love a good belly laugh. Yes, so so do I. It's good for the soul, isn't it? for everything. Yeah, it gets all those happy hormones going. Which leads perfectly into this week's guest. Did you like that segue? I did. I think it was accidental, but I liked it. <laughs> so I, Trisha, I don't know a lot about science. I respect science and I grew up with a dad who was very respectful of the medical profession and of science. And so I follow suit in my thinking about science. Don't have a scientific brain, but I'm certainly intrigued by it. Are you? Absolutely. Remain yeah. curious. So today we are super excited to share with our 50-ish tribe, Polish-Canadian author and science journalist Marta Zaraska. So Marta's articles have been published in the Washington Post's Scientific America, New Scientist, The Atlantic and Discover Magazine. Her books have been turned into TV programs in the US, Spain, Bosnia, Russia, Bulgaria, Germany and Poland and a few more countries in there as well. And now she's on the Don't Give a 50 podcast. Yes, and I'm I'm really excited about this. I am 
so just blown away mm. that she has agreed. What a so <laughs> absolute generous soul and kind person. Absolutely. So not only has she been interviewed by dozens of radio stations in North America, across Europe and the UK, she's given a TED Talk at Bocconi University in Milan. Well, I'm sure I did not pronounce that so correctly. So you had me conf- convinced, convinced, not confused. <laughs> and has been featured as an expert in several documentary films, which is really incredible. She's visited over 80 countries around the world and lived in six of them. So today we're talking to Marta all about her second book, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. And we're excited to see where this conversation leads us. Absolutely. Here's Marta. Hello and welcome to Don't Give a 50, gorgeous Marta Zaraska joining us all the way from France. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. Oh, we are so excited to have you and so grateful. So thank you. Yeah, we've had to sort of make the stars align, haven't we, once again with the time zones. So I know it's uh, earlier in the morning there for you, Marta. And tell us, where exactly are you in France? So uh, it's the countryside. So you ask for the name of the place. Most pe- most French people have no idea where it is. Oh, really? It's, uh, it's somewhere between Ile-de-France and Normandy. So so that's on the west? Pink Norm- Pink Norm- Normandy, so it's kind of rural Normandy. That's um, oh, nice. Wow. I, bet it's be- I bet it's beautiful. Sounds divine. Yeah. So before we chat about your book, Marta, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be a science journalist and author? I mean, it's been a while. <laughs> I've almost <laughs> forgotten. It's been over 20 years. I've been doing this my whole basically professional life. I've been a journalist. First, I started as a foreign affairs journalist, so traveling to kind of not the very safe places. And uh, and then I switched uh, to science journalism also because I started a family. So I wanted to, you know, stop traveling to places where I may not come back from. So Yeah, fair. Um, fair enough. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, um, so yes, so that's, I've been doing this as well for a while. And I also, so I write articles for places like the Washington Post, Scientific American, Discover, but I also, I also write the books and uh, something I like a lot because it's always nice to have a big project. And so, yeah, so there we go. There we are. Marta, that <clears throat> is so interesting. Mm. And I mean, all of those highbrow publications, and now you're talking to us on the Don't Give a 50 podcast. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You must be feeling like, how lucky am I today to talk to these two. Pressure's off. We, uh, yeah, we so appreciate it. Marta, I'm interested in the title of your book. So Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. And I'm interested in it for a number of reasons. So there's a great hook with the title because it generates curiosity about what's to follow and also the three key elements of friendship, optimism and kindness and how they can help us live to 100. So I just wanted to sort of talk or you to talk us through the three main concepts of friendship, optimism and kindness. So what role does friendship play in extending our lives? It plays an an enormous role. Actually, if you were to choose just one thing to do for your health and longevity, that would be probably, I mean, first would be finding a 
happy romantic relationship and the second would be friendships and of course you know you can also be your partner can be your best friend as well so it kind of overlaps here a little bit but those two things are the most important for our health and actually science shows that they may be more important even than the best of diets and exercise regimes which doesn't and doesn't mean of course that diet and exercise are not important because they are important but friendship and a happy romantic relationship are even more important. So, for example, there was this one meta-analysis of studies which I've read. And, you know, meta-analysis is this kind of golden standard of research where scientists put together lots of different studies to see, to look for overall patterns. And what they have discovered is that while diet and exercise can lower our mortality risk for by about 20 to 30 percent, friendship and social inclusion, this, this whole kind of idea of being surrounded by people who, who you care about and who care about you, is about 65%. So there you have 20 to 30, and here you have 65. So this is really huge. Actually, the only thing that compares is that if you are a smoker who smokes two packs of cigarettes a day, quitting that compares to exactly being socially included and surrounded by friends. But this is the only thing that comes close to how important for health and longevity friendship is. Isn't that amazing? I think for years we've always put the the diet and exercise way above that connection. Oh, yeah, we are totally doing that, especially, you know, of course, as I said, diet and exercise are important, but we also sometimes overcomplicate things, right? Because when we talk about diet and exercise, science actually shows that things are very simple. So basically, you know, eat reasonably healthy, eat your veggies and fruits, you know, don't stuff on saturated fats and too much sugar, move move around. You don't have to go to the gym to do the newest classes, just move. And, and that's basically it, right? But we are always looking for new things, the new gadgets, new fancy diets, fat diets, supplements, and so on and so on. And sometimes people ask me, you know, how is that that we keep hearing about all those exactly diets and stuff all the time? And we don't hear about something that's more important, which is friendship and social inclusion. And my answer is that the reason is there is no money in it. In oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah good point. When you, exactly. When you think about it, you know, all those diets and exercise gadgets and exercise classes and supplements and dietary products and superfoods, everything costs money. Somebody's selling that to you. There are some producers of those things that are mm. trying to on you so there is the whole marketing machine they're sending press releases to journalists i know i get them all the time yeah and uh, and then you know and then there is friendship you know who's making money on your friendship right yeah <laughs> nobody's no, such a exactly there's no company there's no company that profits from it if you take a walk with your friend or go for a coffee okay maybe the coffee cost something, you know, to the restaurant yeah. as you go. You know, <laughs> and, and that's basically it. The same with romantic relationship. Nobody makes money on that, whether you are happily married or not, or whether you know your friend, your neighbors and you chat to them. Again, nobody's making money. So then that's why it doesn't really make the headlines. So what is it exactly about friendship? Is it that you, when you are with your friends or when you're in a happy romantic relationship, there are particular hormones released or what is it about the social inclusion and the nature of friendships that's so, you know, integral to this? I mean, there are plenty of different systems that overlap and work together to help our health when we are surrounded by loving others. So Yes, first, there are some hormones. So you have so-called social hormones, such as oxytocin, serotonin, vasopressin, for instance. And all these hormones together help you, you know, on one hand, feel included and trusting others and give you this kind of warmth when you are with people that you care about. And on the other hand, they have lots of 
downstream effects on the health directly. So for example, oxytocin, this so-called laugh hormone that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy when you're with your friends, when you're holding someone's hand, for example, and looking deeply into their eyes. On the other hand, it has anti-inflammatory effects. It, it helps bone growth, preventing osteoporosis, wow, okay. for right? Yep. Then you have endorphins. So there's also hormones that give you this runner's rush, but also get released when you are doing things with other people, especially if you are doing them in synchrony. So for instance, singing with other people or, um, or dancing, line dancing, or this kind of Macarena style dancing when everybody's doing the same stuff. So when you, when you get those endorphins, they are also natural painkillers, very powerful ones. So, mm. so all these hormones, you know, on one hand, they act on our psychology and on, on the other hand, they act on our body. But also there is another system. I mean, it's all interconnected, but there is also a system called your uh, fight and flight response. So, you know, this is the thing that gets activated when we get stressed and when, you know, somebody, a lion jumps out of the jungle. Yes, attack, yeah. kind of um, and, and the thing is that when we are surrounded with other people, that all the systems are you could say calmer so it it's not so jumpy right so um then you get less of the stress hormone so you get less of adrenaline you have less of cortisol the stress hormone that's really you know have lots of negative effects on our health you know it's been connected to diabetes to cancer to cardiovascular disease to alzheimer disease and when you feel included you basically feel safer you don't get so much of the stress hormones mm, and yeah. which are not good for our health mm. when you break it down like that it's really quite simple isn't it it makes so much sense i mean it does because you know when you think about it we are social apes humans yeah. evolved you know to live in a tribe just our like for example you you look at chimpanzees right they are always yes. in a tribe when you go to a zoo you don't see that you know one chimpanzee in a cage that they'll be a very unhappy chimpanzee yes. and and we are, we are extremely closely related our genome is almost identical there are yes. very small differences so so it would be very surprising if we were healthy and happy if we were alone you know we mm. homo sapiens is a tribe animal and uh, we function our bodies function the best when we are surrounded by others we feel safe in a tribe you know we are not we are not some kind of lone there are some species of animals that are loners and this is how they function but we are not that kind of a species right so no exactly so it's perfect sense that you know that we we function well our bodies are happy when we are surrounded by our big tribe and one of the reasons why covid and lockdowns did so much damage I mean, absolutely, yes. That's, you know, on one hand, of course, it was necessary to isolate, mm. but on the other hand, you know, it did have a lot of worrying effects on, on how we felt. I mean, the lucky, the good thing is that most of experts I talked with uh, said that COVID isolation probably wouldn't have too much negative effects because it was not very long. Right. So if you were isolated for for example, three years, that it could be a okay. problem. But most of us stayed home for, you know, let's say one month, two months, maybe three months, and that's it. But it was unpleasant, but it wasn't long enough to be chronic, right? So when we talk about isolation and loneliness, it becomes really problematic when it's chronic. So like everybody gets passing feelings of loneliness, and this is completely normal and doesn't mean it's bad for your health. It's mostly, actually, science, science is talk about loneliness 
as something similar to hunger. Actually, even in our brain, you can see that we can we react to loneliness and hunger in a very similar way. So there was wow. this new study that showed, mm. yes, there was scientists um, who put people into fMRI machines to scan their brains. And the, the people were first either uh, fasting or they were isolated. So they basically were closed for like 10 hours in their room and they were not allowed to do anything that was social, even to read novels because, you know, there'll be people in them. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so they had to only do some kind of non-social activities in there. And when they scanned those, two pe- those people, because it were the same people, first they were fasting, then they were isolated or the other way around. And they showed that the brain areas that activate after when you show this hungry people pictures of food or isolated people pictures of socializing, they're exactly the same. So even AI couldn't tell any difference, meaning that, you know, when we are hungry and when we are lonely, this is exactly the same signal to look for solutions. So when you're hungry, you look for food. When you're isolated, you look for friends, right? For connection. What it means is that loneliness is not bad, right? It's just a signal. It tells you, okay, something is wrong. Go and look for your friend. But if it becomes chronic, then all the other problems start and we get all the changes in our behavior, in our brain as well, that actually make it harder and harder to get out of this loneliness trap. Scientists call, talk about catch-22 of loneliness, that you know it drags you deeper and deeper. And then it also has lots of negative consequences for health. That's fascinating. That is so it? interesting. Mm. I love that they can measure the brain and the chemicals to see exactly what's going on. I'm just thinking of the people that actually signed up for that experiment and just thinking, what a terrible exp- I would never sign up. Oh, Mel, we go. <laughs> well, it's only hours, so it's not, you know, and they're probably paid, so. Oh, I hope so. The other element you speak of is how optimism affects how long we live as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, optimism can add you anywhere between four to even ten years of life. So that's a lot. Again, mm. and there was there has been lots of research on that uh, showing that uh, people who are optimistic, who has this kind of cheery outlook on life, tend to outlive people who are more gloomy. This kind of hal- glass half full versus glass half empty. That's even true about chimpanzees again. So those who are judged by their zookeepers to have more cheery. Um, I, I don't know how to say it, personality, I guess, yeah. uh, are also live longer, which is, which is interesting. Um, so absolutely. So optimism can make you healthier and help you live longer. And the thing is also that, you know, sometimes people tell me, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm not an optimist. I was born that way. I'm just a pessimistic person. But the thing is that science now shows that personality is very changeable. So we don't, we are, although there is some genetic component to it, like to almost everything about humans, uh, but it's still, there is a still big room for maneuvers. So even if you're quite pessimistic, you can work on your, on your personality and with small steps, you can change it. So you try to become more optimistic. There are some exercises, there are great books out there on how to do that. And you can actually become more optimistic, which is also in a way a health intervention. That is amazing. I did not know that you could actually change your personality. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, everybody's personality actually changes over their life. So there are some patterns that everyone follows. For example, people become more conscientious with age and less neurotic. And then up to an age of about um, 70, 80, and then we become a little bit less conscientious and more neurotic. And this is a pattern that most people follow, but there are also very big individual differences where people can really 
go from being neurotic to emotionally stable or from being, you know, non-conscientious to conscientious. So it is really doable. And there were some great studies showing that if you give people small interventions, so small exercises that they have to do every day, which become more and more difficult as the time goes, over about the period of four months, they really change their personality in a quite visible manner. So, so for me, it's very optimistic. It means you can really... You can really change and you can really become, you know, a better version of yourself. Marta, I love that. So if you have pessimistic people around you, did you say before there's some stuff online? Are they best to go to a psychologist or how, how do we go about making that change? So there are two things. So you can be pessimistic and neurotic, right? So they're not exactly the same. Neuroticism is more like kind of Woody Allen kind of personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Always worrying, always anxious, always kind of a little bit hypochondriac, all this kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, and glass half actually, empty. Exactly. So, so this is something bigger, and this is actually a personality type. And this is neuroticism has been actually the most common reason why people go for psychotherapy. And pessimism is something a little bit more simple. It just kind of exactly glass half full versus glass glass uh, half empty. Uh, sorry, empty. glass half full <laughs> versus glass half empty. Mm-hmm. And but both are changeable. Both or you can do it in psychotherapy, but you don't have to. So there are small steps that you can take, for instance, you know, every day, um, you can try to do something, let's say optimistic. So, you know, try to look out for ways to see good in the world, right? So you just catch yourself on your behaviors. There's CBT therapy, so cognitive behavioral therapy you can do. There are plenty on books of books on that topic and it works really, really well. So yes, you can go to psychotherapist, but you can do it yourself as well. Again, with help of plenty of great books out there. It's good also that you were saying that um, some of these actions that you apply that after a period of about four months, so you're not talking about years, that mm. you can actually see changes in a relatively short period of time. So it's more like doable for people, isn't it? It's almost like habit stacking that we've discussed before. It's just adding those new things in. I mean, absolutely. So, you know, the same with conscientiousness. So this kind of personality type that sounds very boring because it's about, you know, making up your bed or having your desk clean or coming to meetings on time. So it sounds boring, but in fact, it's actually one of the most important predictors of health as well. Uh, at least from all the personality types, conscientiousness is the most important for your health. One scientist I talked with, he actually said that if conscientiousness could be made into a pill, it would be the most powerful drug on earth. Uh, and um because, you know, conscientious people, they not only, you know, they put their seatbelts on, they don't drink too much, but they also, there are also physiological reasons why this personality type makes us healthier. It's connected to stress. Once again, they basically get less wired up about things because I guess they have their life, they feel they have their life more in control. Yes. Yeah. So, and this is also a personality type actually that responds the best to, um, to interventions. So to doing those small changes over time. Uh, the only thing is that, you know, everything, if you do the four months, let's say, and you do become more conscientious, you cannot completely let the, the ball drop, right? Because you may revert to your previous yeah, yeah. habits. Yes. Yep. It's a little bit like with exercise, right? You have to yep. continue to for the upkeep, right? You can do some bursts to get your muscles, but then if you stop, they will go, you know, they'll they go back. Here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marta, I call that the very slippery slide once you're on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's funny, since reading that part about the conscientiousness, I've really been trying to be mindful of it. 
more so. Yeah, and, yeah. and this is exactly how we do it. So those exercises, for example, in this one study that I talk, t- told you about, um, the the tasks that the people had to do in order to become more conscientious, they were exactly like, today I will clean my desk, and that's it. Today I'll pay one bill, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. And they're really small things. And, you know, and they're mm. also not only good for your health, they're also generally good for your life, right? Yeah, so yeah. To do them. But it's it's kind of encouraging that it also helps you live longer. So not only, you know, you'll have a clean house and bills paid on time, you will actually live longer. And enjoy living longer because your house is clean. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I guess just more organized and yeah. less chaotic, less stressful. Therefore, it becomes less stressful. Yeah. It's so interesting. And you can see now, as Marta's explaining it, just how interconnected it is. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's fascinating. Marta, the other element is... Is about kindness and I always love to say it's cruel to be kind have always encouraged my kids so when I saw that I was like yes because mm. I just think that goes such a long way so is that similar in the the chemicals it releases and, and is that why it's also important but what, what I didn't catch what oh sorry the kindness element of longevity. Yes, absolutely. So it's also very similar. So there were studies that showed that um, actually when you perform acts of kindness, you can even see the effects on the levels of your genes. So, you know, the genes that you have can be turned on or off, right? So, uh, so in people who were performing acts of kindness over a period of six weeks, the scientists could see that their leukocytes, so the white cell, the genes in their white cells were turned on in a way that would be, they would be less prone to getting cancer, for instance. So so this is also very powerful. Uh, And there is plenty of research showing that volunteers, you know, they spend fewer nights in hospitals, they have lower blood pressure, and uh, generally they have better cardiovascular health. But uh, exactly, you don't have to necessarily do the formal volunteering. You can just do small acts of kindness in your community. And I've done this experiment on myself as well. So that was a really fun part of writing my book when I collaborated with scientists from King's College London. And what we've done is that over a period of a week, uh, we randomly chose um, three days when I would do a whole day filled with random acts of kindness. So very simple things such as, I don't know, I fed stray cats, I picked up trash in my neighborhood, I baked cookies for my husband to take to work and give to his, you know, colleagues and and stuff like that like I was just trying to really come up I post I put a little post it on with a smiley face in my neighbor's car you know really sometimes the things were very you know low effort and every single day over that week I had to take samples of my saliva to be measured uh, for cortisol levels cortisol cortisol is a stress hormone so I would kind of chew on this um, horrible thing like a, I don't know it's like a swab thing um, morning noon and evening and then I would put it into you know little samples and I put it in the fridge and then I shipped everything to London for for testing and when the results came in we were really really surprised to see very powerful results because you know we didn't know what to expect maybe there there would be such a small difference that we would, would see nothing but actually the graph showed very clear difference between days when I was doing acts of kindness and the days when I was not doing them uh, no matter how stressful actually what was happening in my life at the time so the days when I was doing the acts of kindness, my stress hormone, the cortisol, was behaving in a much healthier way. So it would start kind of high in the morning and then it would really nicely drop. But on the days when I was not doing it, it was 
worse, <laughs> basically meaning that I was more impacted by the stress hormone, which again, as I mentioned before, has all these side effects on health as, you know, possibly raising risk of cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's, and so on and so on. So, you know, such a small thing. And it was also extremely pleasurable, right? Because I had so much fun doing those yes. things. Yeah. And, which reminds me, I should do it more. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I know, I'm thinking that too. The other thing that really interests me is that I've heard so much recently about high cortisol really kind of impacting on the symptoms of menopause as well. You know, even down to whereas we used to do kind of more exercise that was demanding and you know they're now saying that for menopausal women it's also better to do kind of a more gentle exercise because of cortisol and the effect of it mm. in our systems i mean so stress hormone by itself by themselves you know there is nothing wrong with stress again right okay. so actually there's just like with loneliness there is a huge difference between acute stress and and chronic stress right so for instance when something happens like you know when you have to give a public speech and you get stress hormones, there is nothing wrong with it. It actually just gives you a boost. You know, you perform better. And this is how they are supposed to work. It's a little bit like with the exercise, a little bit similar, right? So because this is natural for our ancestors, they would, you know, they would see something dangerous, they will run away from it. It'll be fine. And then the, all the stress hormones, they calm down. It's fine. The problem becomes when the chronic is, uh, the stress is chronic. So when you're stressing about your kids, when you're stressing about your mortgage, when you're stressing about your work, and it's like constant low burning stress. And this is where it really wears down our, basically all our, the systems in our body. It's kind of the wear and tear. And this is something that we are trying to prevent here, right? So this acute stress, when you just kind of like get stressed and it's, then it goes back to normal, that's fine. But this kind of constant, constant worry and stress and some kind of long-term thing, this is where it's really bad for our health. And I guess these small acts of kindness are going to help balance that out. Yes, exactly. Yes. Or volunteering. You know, volunteering is amazing as well. I actually, have, I actually heard you, when I was doing some research in another podcast, you mentioned that volunteering can be better for you than eating six serves of vegetables a day. Yes, or, or the same. <laughs> but, you know, of course, the best is you do both, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I often say, because people say, okay, there's another thing I have to do. Another thing I have to remember, you know, we women are already so overwhelmed with, you know, mental load and all this stuff. So why do I have to add another thing I have to remember to, to my calendar, right? So on one hand, you know, we can simplify certain things. So like this diet and exercise, for instance, you know, stop obsessing about, you know, the superfoods or supplements or the the, the, the exercise class that you're now in and you have to do it, you know, just do simple things. And very often those simple things can be combined with friendship or volunteering, for instance, or the kindness. So I give an example, for instance, instead of going to the gym, you can go and mow the, the lawn of your neighbor, right? Or you can help your elderly neighbor carry shopping upstairs. That's exercise too, actually. So, yeah. you know, thing, things like that, right? Or standing up in a bus to give someone your spot actually is also good for your health, right? It's also, it's kindness and exercise because you're standing, not sitting anymore. So, you know, there's lots of things when you can kind of combine those things, just be, move more, basically be more active and at the same time, be more kind. Picking up trash in your neighborhood is also exercise because you're walking and you're bending all the time to pick stuff, right? So, so think about it like that. And the same with friendship. You, you can go for a walk with your friend, you can go jogging together, you can, you can do 
exercise and friendship at the same time, right? Yeah, I think you've raised a good point there because it seems like this sort of strategy and to be aware of this strategy is easier and more simple to adopt into our daily lives. So if you were starting to look at improving your health and you were looking at the millions of diet and exercise Mm -hmm. regimes that are out there, like basically the entire market is just saturated or our minds are saturated with information. It can become completely overwhelming as to where to begin. But I think if you start, if you roll it back and start looking at these simple measures, and then as you said, to combine, go for a walk with a friend. So you're able to combine or do yoga or Pilates or whatever it is, but, you know, and combine it with your friendships and then have your cup of coffee. It's really ticking some serious boxes there, isn't it? Marta, when you're speaking, I just keep thinking as clever as we are, as fast paced technology just keeps improving or whatnot, all the signs seem to circle back to living that very simple life that we once led, that just the simple things like living in a community, eating fresh food, exercising was just, you know, it wasn't all about gyms and equipment and stuff. It was just doing the day-to-day stuff that we needed to do to survive. It's like bringing it back to that simplicity is really the healthiest version. I mean, absolutely. You know, this is how our bodies evolved to function the best, right? So we didn't evolve sit all day on our you know in front of the computers uh and um and alone this this is not how how we evolved so this is not how we function the best and you know and exactly so when you think about exercise you know just think am i moving right now or am i sedentary right am i moving or am i sitting so as long as you're moving exactly can be the trash picking or you can you can go dancing for instance right it's an amazing exercise actually a lot of experts say it's better than any gym exercise you can do right so it's acts on your on your cardio on all the muscles and you're usually doing it with your friends which is amazing right you can even put the music your friends come over for coffee and say hey let's put on some music and let's you know just dance right that's such an easy exercise so and so much fun so think about it that way right just just keep moving, whatever you do, keep moving, do it preferably with others. And if you, if this, your moving can also help others in some way, even better. So yeah. Love that. And we are going to get some more great information from Marta just after this quick. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right. Marta, when I was doing some research, I heard this term, and I don't know if you have termed or made up this word or if it's a word that just hadn't come 
into my vocabulary yet, but it was fubbing. And I hate fubbing. And I think that it is absolutely something that we need to be concerned about as a, na- or as you know, a species. I, I've but, never heard of it. Well, that's what I was about to ask Marta, oh, if okay. she could actually elaborate on what fubbing is. Okay, great. Yes, I definitely did not make the word myself. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> It basically means, you know, friends snubbing or something like that. It's basically um, when you don't pay attention to your friend or to whoever you're talking to because you look at your phone, right? So yeah. let's say so, you're putting... So I think it might be a combination of phone and snubbing. And so snubbing, fubbing. fubbing. Yeah. fubbing. So okay. PH, not F. Yeah, phone snubbing. snubbing. So yeah, got it. Right. It's not from phone, it's from phone, it's the PH. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, so then whenever, you know, whenever you pay attention to your phone instead of the person you're talking to, you're fubbing. Fubbing someone, <laughs> so, Okay. They're fubbing them. And uh, and there's, again, so much research showing it's really detrimental to the relationship because the other, I mean, we all feel it, right? Like whenever you go out with someone and they are constantly checking their phone, most people feel, start feeling annoyed and that something is not okay. And there is research confirming that we, afterwards, we judge the relationship as worse, the, the, the time we spend as of lower quality, even if the phone is only on the table. So even if the other person doesn't look on the phone, just puts the phone there beside the plate or something, we already feel, you know, threatened by the phone and it makes the quality of the relationship worse. And as we've mentioned before, the quality of relationship is so extremely important for our health. So you don't want to ruin that. So you know, the best way, on the other hand, actually, it shows that when the other person consciously takes the phone and puts it away, like, for example, turns it off or just puts it in their bag, this sends the message to the other person that the relationship is highly valued and it actually gives you even more satisfaction from the relationship. Yes. So the small act of, look, I'm putting the phone away because you mean so much to me is actually really big. Absolutely. And it means that you're present with that person in the situation and that you're prioritising the time that mm-hmm. you're spending with them. And I, the younger generations, obviously their lived experience is so much around that device. And I know mm. sometimes when I'm yeah. at a function with my nieces and nephews, my children, etc., I've been that cranky old lady who goes, okay, everyone, put your phone away. Oh, yeah. Let's have conversation. I think it's hard for our generation because we didn't grow up with mobile phones. So we've had to adjust to them mm. being such a dominant force in our lives. I mean, I have to say that, you know, some of the most Phone addicted people I know are in their sixties and seventies. Yeah, so, really. You know? I and don't. My husband, he used to be like, "Oh, you know, I'm never going to text. And I hate phones." And now he's all over it. He gets well. Cranky. That's interesting. He I gets did not know. Cranky at the kids. Yeah. But yet I'm like, look at you go now. Oh, don't you talk? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's interesting because I've yeah. never seen phone addicted people in their sixties and seventies. I know plenty of them. And wow. And and the, and the, I think sometimes. It happens also because they feel that, you know, because of their age, because it's the younger generation's thing, they don't feel that they can get addicted, so they don't pay attention and they just Uh go, I'm just Yes. They're not watching their time. You know what? I'm going to share that with my husband. I'm going to get him to listen to this episode and just say... 
and say, Gordo, you're fubbing oh, me. <laughs> I don't like to be fubbed. No, no, we don't <laughs> like to be fubbed. Definitely not. Marta, when you were talking and about kindness and the chemical reactions in the brain, etc., the one thing that I thought of and I've heard you talk about is pets and how important they can be in that longevity and whatnot. But it was funny because I was thinking when I heard that, I'm like, okay, well, I have a male cattle dog that runs away all the time and I'm always trying to find him in the neighbourhood. Um, I have a kitten last week who went downstairs and actually we have, we're on a farm so we get mice and my husband had these mouse traps that are like the sticky ones so they're like a really, and the kitten came up and she had a mouse trap stuck to her hind leg and I was just about to walk out the door and I was fully dressed and then I had to kind of peel this off her and I thought I was going to wax her leg off and then wash her so she didn't get sick. And then I had a constipated cat that was putting skid marks all over the photo. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking I'd really love to know if all of this animal stress is worth the payoff for the long-term life benefits. <laughs> I haven't seen any research on cats. I'm not sure and there will be anything. But in terms of dogs, there is research showing that they give you the boost of oxytocin, so the laugh hormone. If you look into your dog's eyes or keep your dog on your lap and pet it, then both you and the dog are getting a boost of oxytocin. And this is exactly the hormone that is really good for your health. Um, and even some researchers compared people relaxing in different ways. So some people were curling on the sofa with a book and other people were curling on the sofa with a dog and actually the dog won. <laughs> so, oh, <I> you. <laughs> so they are giving you something back. Yeah. And although I, I have it for myself and sometimes I, you know, when she comes at 5 a.m. decides it's time to get up, I sometimes do wonder. Whether yeah, she's I know, right? <laughs> but you know, that's a really good point, I think, especially for aging parents and things like that who, you know, the children have left and they might not be, in a really accessible community all the time to know that that having a small dog or something like that can give them that sense of connection and that's awesome. Absolutely. I mean, as long as it doesn't, because sometimes, I, you know, dogs are great and some I do recommend them. I always had dogs <laughs> as well. But the only thing is that, you know, one danger is that when you feel that, okay, I already have a dog, so I don't have to look for friends, right? Ah, uh, yes. I don't have to connect to my, my neighbors and chat to them. I have a dog. It's fine. So yeah. it's not fine. Yeah. So it's, a small boost. It, it completely I can't, I can't yeah, come over to your house because I've got to look after the dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's absolutely not a replacement, even for the relationship with your neighbors, which is another thing that's really important, you know, right? Just just chatting to people, knowing what, well, knowing their names, knowing what's going on in your life, this kind of the little community feeling. It's In my book, I write about this Japanese rule of five so that you should know two neighbors on the on your side and, and three in front of your house or apartment. And, um, and this is really important as well. So there were studies that showed that each of those relationships gives you a small boost to your health as well. So as, as more you add, the better it gets, right? So maybe the dog would be like one neighbor or something. <laughs> right, okay. Okay, yes, but it's not going to substitute, yeah. Nowhere close, yeah. unfortunately. So, yeah, and, and, it's, and having five dogs will not replace another <laughs> No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it comes a point where it turns around, right? So you mentioned then the Japanese. Now, I know that they have a very good lifespan. So the other word that I've heard you speak of is ikigai. 
Is that right? Ikigai? I think that's how I Googled how to Probably, pronounce yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, like, that's how I pronounce it, but you know, I, yeah. I don't speak Japanese anyway, so I think that's that's more or less it. But. Yeah. So could you share with our audience what, what Ikigai is? Yes. So actually the Japanese are the longest living nation on the planet right now. So they have been doing something right, at least in the past, because supposedly the society is changing a lot. So we'll see how long the new generations will live, but at least the older generations are really living long. And and so this one thing they do is uh, look for Ikigai. It's really big in Japan to the point when you see this word even in government documents. And this is basically translates like something close to purpose in life or meaning in life basically having a reason to get up in the morning and this can be it can be something big it can be you know saving the planet from climate change but it can be also something small like making sure that your front garden is pretty so your neighbors can enjoy it or taking care of your grandchildren right so when i talk to people in japan when i traveled for for book research this is exactly what they were telling me that you know that they keep their street clean or they you know they bake cookies for someone to make them happy and this is their ikigai right so so as long as you feel that there is something in your life that gives you this purpose uh, this is super important and for some reason, this is particularly important for cardiovascular health. And um, most research comes from Japan, but there is also Western research when people are asked about whether they have meaning in life. And it also translates similarly to better cardiovascular health. So yes, so looking for, for purpose, for meaning, no matter how small, it's it's extremely important as well. That is that so is, fascinating oh, that it actually can directly relate to cardiovascular health and you know and in japan actually they they what they also do what's fascinated me uh is that they they don't retire the way we do in the west um so very often what they do when they are of retirement age they go to a special employment agencies and i visited those places and um and talked to people there and what they do is they look for a for a, what they call a silver hair job so a job for a person who is over 65 and the idea is is it's supposed to be very flexible, usually part-time and very easy. So I've met, for example, former managers that uh, were now gardeners and they were gardening public spaces. So there was this one gentleman and he was basically cutting trees to make them, you know, shape them into pretty shapes. Yes. And he oh. used to be like somewhere in finance before. And um, so for Westerners, it's kind of very weird, I'll say. But uh when you think about it, it actually makes sense because this gives them several things. So th- this gives them this ikigai, so the feeling that they're needed and useful for the community. So other people, for example, there were there were also the pop- another popular job was to help children cross on the way to to school. So you know, one of those kind of orange vest people, you know. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. So that was also very popular, and the gardening was popular. This kind of this kind of jobs, and or repair repairing stuff and. Um, Things like that. And it not only gave them the ikigai, the meaning of life, but it also connected them to community because there is much easier to make friends, to chat to people. You know, when you help kids cross to school, you can chat to the parents, you can chat to kids. So it can be really, really good for your health, right? And it doesn't have to be a job, Japanese style. This is very similar to the vol- what volunteering can do for you as well, right? Mm. So, um, but I, I found it absolutely fascinating. They have this whole huge network of employment agencies for elderly people in all the That countries. is incredible. And it's paid work. Yeah, it's paid. Yeah, they're paid. It's not, it's not huge money, but, you know, it's something. doesn't matter. It's yeah, because... So often you hear about people, especially men, who have retired and then suffer from mental health issues mm. because they're so used to being... Well, they've lost their purpose. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's Absolutely. getting them outside, seeing someone and exchanging a smile. That simple. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and they feel that they're, you know, needed, right? Because there's another thing about elderly people that's when they don't feel needed anymore, their health really goes down. So you have to find a way to feel needed. Your children are grown up, you're, especially for men, as you've said, and, you know, Japanese culture is a very macho culture. Uh, so it's even more powerful for men there that once they stop working, they really feel that there is nothing left in their life. So so this is why they, they need something like that to find this ikigai. Marjorie, I just wanted to loop back to the friendship um, point that we began the chat with, because unfortunately we are running out of time. I have listened to podcasts that have talked about friendship and longevity amongst women, and they were speaking to professors that have been involved in very long-term research projects, like over 30 and 40 years, and they've said the findings are that women, and I suppose, I don't, I don't know, they obviously are not talking about Japanese culture, like these studies were conducted well, in Australia, I think, or, you know, in West Western countries, that women tend to age better than men because of the connection we have to each other and because we are wired the way that we do catch up after going for a walk and we will have that cup of coffee and, and, you know, and perhaps we have more time or we put time aside to stay connected to our girlfriends. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, absolutely. So we do have a slight biological advantage over men, but research shows it's only about one year that we really have over men because of our biology. It's, for example, because of things like that we have two X hormones, uh, sorry, chromosomes, which basically means we have a spare copy of our genome, right? Or or that our estrogens also have some protective effects on cardiovascular health and stuff like that. But this is only one year. Whereas, uh, you know, in many Western countries, even the most equal countries, women still tend to live about three to four years longer than men. And in some countries such as Russia, it's 11 years. Very closely due to alcohol, probably alcoholism among men. (laughs) But yes, there is definitely something there as well that women, you know, pay more attention to our relationships, that we engage more in friendship, but also that we do more volunteering and we actually donate more and we do more of those acts of kindness. So so women tend to be more empathetic as well, which is all connected to quality of relationships and to kindness and volunteering and so on and so on. So yes, there is a lot of going on for, for women here that we have an advantage, but there is nothing that men cannot learn here or, you know, or do the same yeah. as well. So oh, of course. So, you know, this, this, yes, this one year, they'll probably never win that, but it's all doable. So yeah, hundred percent. Marta, I just love your book and I think that it backed with all that medical science and research is just so fascinating. And I know for a fact that you use yourself as the I guess, the uh, market research or the target for research in quite a lot of different situations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guinea, guinea pigs. pigs. <laughs> um, and you mentioned one of those earlier. Is, is there anything else from your experience with writing this book and putting yourself in those situations that you'd love to share with our 50s tribe that you felt really made a significant difference for you? I mean, so I would again put emphasis on the romantic relationship, right? And um, and this one, because this is really the most important thing that we can have. And in general, research shows that it's about marriage. But when scientists dig deeper, it's not necessarily marriage per se, as in the kind of formal 
you know, document, although it does help, but it's about commitment, right? So feeling that you're really with the other person for better and for worse, no matter what, forever, right? Then this kind of, if you have this kind of commitment to each other, that really, really helps. So working on that relationship is extremely important. And, you know, very often, especially, you know, after you've been married for a while, you start, <laughs> uh, you start taking things for granted, right? And we should never do that. And right? so, so when I was writing the book, I talked to John Gottman, who is considered the best expert on, on marriage out there. And um, and he did give me a several really good tips and, and also other researchers. And for example, one of my favorite ones was to always try to do new things together. So just to challenge yourself to just change things up a little bit. So we've been trying to do it with my husband as well, because, you know, you kind of default sometimes to similar behaviors if you oh, have yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have, I mean, we still have kids at home, but, you know, so if you, we ever have any time uh, to ourselves, then, you know, we, the, the default was to do the same stuff. Let's go for dinner, you know, and maybe watch a movie, yeah. just the same yeah. way, but even the same restaurant, right? And yeah. and he said, don't do that, right? Try to challenge yourself, go to do different things. So for instance, uh, we decided to have a random country evening and we just randomly selected a country from a list. I think it was Tajikistan from all the places. And then we tried you know, get food from there and drinks from there and listen to music from there. And, you know, it was really funny. And I still remember it, right? I forgot hundreds of other days, but this I still remember. And also to do thrilling stuff because actually our bodies confuse adrenaline that you get from things like roller coasters or, you know, the and if all the thrilling activities that, you know, that gives you, you know, the adrenaline, uh, playing laser tag or stuff like that, uh, they actually, your body confuses it with this hormones of early um, uh, enchantment or when you first fell oh, in love. Yeah, oh, yeah, that the, could the, be handy. <laughs> the adrenaline rush. <laughs> so it really helped. You know, we, we started doing escape rooms recently and it's really fun and it really gives you this kind of buzz together. And uh, so, so trying to look for things like that, you know, just a, a little bit out of the box and something new, something to challenge yourself uh, to keep this relationship going because it is the most important relationship for your health you can have and the most important thing other than quitting smoking that is just incredible like I've actually never ever heard of that that before like trying something new and trying something you know that gives you that adrenaline rush yeah Yeah. thrilling yeah and a thrilling activity that's fascinating that is awesome but so many of my friends haven't don't have a life partner they haven't married etc so what can they do to work on that same level of longevity. If you don't have a partner at all, and um, then I guess, you know, you go for your friendships, right? So there's the seconds. Because it's uh, funny, those girls also have extremely strong female friendship groups and they do all that thrilling stuff together. So that makes sense. Yeah, the travel, the new experiences. Yeah, find your tribe. Yeah, find your tribe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we love that. And see, like Mel and I, we've got a group of friends. You know, we did a bike riding tour. In Victoria last year. Yeah. Yeah. So it's those different things and making things memorable. So, yeah, just making the effort. Marta, we are going to have to wrap up our chat. Um, I just want here, to keep asking you questions. You are so interesting. Thank you. <laughs> there are there's lots to talk about on this subject, and we have a wrap up question that we ask all our guests. If you're ready, if you could go <laughs> back in time, what would the martyr of today tell her twenty ish self? Oh, to be certainly less neurotic, worry <laughs> 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 less about stuff, and um, yeah, work on this neuroticism thing because I was quite neurotic when I was young. So <laughs> I think that if I if I dealt with it earlier, it would have been better. So yeah, 
Yes, yeah, that is so true. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think I think it would have been nice for all of us to worry less when we were young. So that's it from us today. We will put links to today's amazing guest in our show notes, including information on her incredible book. And don't forget to stay in touch with us. Follow us on Instagram at don't give a 50 or you can email us at hello at don'tgiveafifty.com.au. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like us to discuss or if you would like to put yourself or someone you know forward to be a guest, go to our website www.don'tgiveafifty.com.au. And while you're there, sign up to be part of our 50ish tribe. Also, and very importantly, if you've got a moment, leave us a rating and a review. Remember, gorgeous 50-ishers, life is for living. Don't give a 50 because we're all 50 and awesome regardless of age and living and ageing is an absolute privilege and just being awesome is our right. Yes, and thank you so much again, Marta. We are so appreciative of your time and sharing your amazing knowledge with us. And I'd like to encourage our 50-ish tribe to go and do some random acts of kindness today. Mm. Buy someone a cup of coffee. You know that thing where people were paying for two Coffee's yes, in the person yeah. behind. Makes I you feel that. good. Pay it forward. <laughs> Pay it forward. Thank you so much, Marta. Thank you so much, Trisha and Mel. It was lovely t- chatting with you today. Oh, you are so awesome. kind. You're Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Gordo, you're fubbing me. (laughs) I don't like to be fubbed. Hey, everyone. It's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.